it up. Let's dump this truck. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And this week we are going to talk about a film starring... None other than Paul Bettany. Bespectacled, sometimes bespectacled, sometimes not. Mostly bespectacled actor. That is actually a tongue twister if you say bespectacled <laughs> five times fast. Uh, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. It's so interesting, like, talking about Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, I feel like, is an actor that I never really expected to talk about here. And then I remembered that he did, in fact, star in a rom-com once. And that rom-com is called Wimbledon from 2004. Yes. And it also stars Kirsten Dunst, Jon Favreau, Sam Neill... Austin Nichols, James McAvoy, Nicola, whose name I'm very sorry if I'm saying wrong, Coster Waldo. Yeah, um, we, we were just talking about cast. It. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah were... we, we saw Nicola recently on the podcast. Yeah, yes, we did. Actually, I don't even know if I put that episode up yet. I should I should really figure that out. <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh, we love you. And you know, like Nicolau is going to be on the podcast a few times. He might already. What is time? Time is not linear. We're living in an orb of illusion. Um, I love that this is the second time that we started the episode because we tried for like a minute before and it was like, it was weird and like, this is still weird and we're just going to power through. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a truth in that though, because I think everyone can relate to just... Sometimes words are hard, and sometimes there's not a smooth way to skateboard into talking about Wimbledon. I mean, yeah. this isn't a movie that a lot of people, at least in my experience, this isn't a movie that a lot of people have talked about. Yeah, so let's just start. Wimbledon, it is from 2004. It is directed by Richard Loncrane, and he has also directed... What are any of these things? Um... <laughs> Uh, my one and only, which is a Renee Zellweger movie that I feel like nobody has seen. Like a bunch of movies that I've never heard of. Slade in Flame. I don't know what that is. Full Circle, which stars Mia Farrow. It's a horror. Oh my God. It's a horror film starring Mia Farrow. Let me, let me open that into a tab. Cause I need to watch that. Uh, oh yeah. Mary. I think part of it is that he's, Br- he's a British, um, director and so maybe that's why these are like deep cut british films the missionary brimstone and treacle yeah i'm looking at the list as well and i have not heard of at least like 90 percent of these but he obviously has a lot of experience directing both film and television Um, he did oh oh, richard the third that's like one with that's that oh, has he, Ian McKellen and shit. He was a director for Band of Brothers, um, oh, yeah. a, a war miniseries that I watched with my dad roughly 18 times. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's very much a dad miniseries. <laughs> uh, and so this was written by Adam Brooks, Jennifer Flackett, and Mark Levin. That's three people. At least one of them is a woman. Um Adam Brooks is most known for writing and directing Definitely Maybe and writing the screenplay for French Kiss. 
and Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. So we've already done Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. We will do Definitely Maybe, and we will do French Kiss. So Adam Adam Brooks, he'll yeah, be Yeah, Adam Brooks, he's, he's a friend of the podcast, I would say. Friend of the podcast. We have already covered two, including this one, and the other two are on our large list of films to cover. So Yeah, yeah, man. Jennifer Flackett... Uh, <laughs> wrote the screenplay for the Madeline live action movie with Francis. Oh, wow. McCormick. Okay. Man, that's a blast from the past. Oh man. Like she yeah, works on, uh, she currently works on big mouth. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Oh yeah. They both do. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And Levin, Cause they're married. They're the, Oh my God. They're the big mouth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This makes everything so much weirder. I did not expect that at all. What a strange- I did not expect that at all either. I am completely because I sometimes I look up all of this while I'm watching and sometimes I I reveal it to myself on the pod. And yeah, I did not connect that they are the big mouth couple. That is I would you know, knowing that it does not show in the movie, but I don't know why no, or how no, it could. No, <laughs> like, it doesn't. How could that be present in this specific movie? I mean, but they did like a bunch of like I, I don't know, like cutesy stuff, like you know, Nim's Island, which that that's like a kids movie, and Journey to the Center of the Earth. Like they did a bunch of kids movies, and then they moved up, then they did this, and then they did they did this kids movies, Big Mouth. Sure, fine. I, I, you know, could you, tri- <laughs> what is going on? Career- hey, listen, I'm there with you. I'm not. I I'm short circuiting. Um, I feel <laughs> like I feel like you know when the computer has all the stripes because it's about to like break. That's kind of how I felt the last few weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, they they obviously have a lot of experience when it comes to children's shows and youth oriented shows and. I guess to to a lot of people who aren't steeped in the rom-com genre because it's gen, genuinely and most in most cases lighthearted it might seem more like a natural transition genre-wise to say okay you know we like to make lighthearted yeah you know, media yeah, yeah. A lighthearted fair you know it, it kind of makes I mean comedy like rom-coms kid stuff it's all very comedy centric in general so that makes total sense uh what does not make sense is the career of Mr. Paul Bettany like it's very like just trying to figure out what uh is going on and like he did like a bunch of he basically, you know, he's a British actor and he did basically British movies, uh, Bent's The Land Girls, A Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that's not the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that we know, um, a movie called Dead Babies. I don't know what's going on. Gangst. And so maybe the first notable one is a movie called Gangster Number One that he did with Malcolm McDowell. And that was in... That was in 2000, and then he did A Knight's Tale and A Beautiful Mind, both in 2001, which were kind of like his two big ones. A Knight's Tale, perfect movie, classic, oh, yeah. you beautiful. Love that. Has never done anything wrong. That no, com- movie. no complaints. It's it's a great rewatch, which, you know, is becoming increasingly rare. Um, yeah, I mean, he he had already really been thrust into the like global public eye by now so it's interesting that he's i mean but but i guess you could really look at this whole cast list that's the thing about this movie is this is a stacked cast 
<laughs> yeah, this cast is this cast is well. I mean, we notice this. Uh, I'm starting to realize that we notice this a lot in rom coms where a lot of actors are like. A lot of actors will show up for a rom-com and it's either to phone it in or to just completely do something that they've never done before. And a lot of the time it's just phoning it in, but you know, or, or we get like a Jamie Dorman in Barb and star situation where he is not phoning it in and he is going in. And also somebody met, somebody mentioned on Twitter, whether or not we were going to talk about Barb and star. And I really don't know because I don't know Bronwyn. How do you feel about Barb and star? I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're only going to have to be able to figure out because I love it. And so if Bronwyn doesn't love it, that might be interesting. Actually, it might be interesting both ways. If you love it, it might be interesting. If you don't love it, it might also be interesting. We might. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm looking at the um, IMDb for it and I've definitely seen um, ads for it. Yeah. I mean, I love everyone in it, so I'm going to have to check it out. But yeah. um, And so... You know, Knight's Tale, Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, which is, I have not seen it, but Master and Commander is like the big, like, dudes rock kind of movie where we're in for the boys. And I don't mean that in, like, a bad way. I mean that it's like, it is a dude movie. I love me some dude movies, but it's just like, it's men on a boat and they yeah, are. I've, they I've are seen dudes. Master and Commander, and it is definitely a dude movie. Dudes rock. I don't know. I uh, maybe I'll watch it. Um, he did a movie it's called- kind of soothing in that dude way. Oh, okay. I like. I like to hear that. Um, he did a film called The Reckoning. He did Dogville. Dogville was the- <laughs> well, two thousand three. Master and Commander, The Reckoning, Dogville, and then Wimbledon. <laughs> Wimbledon 2004 and he doesn't make any movie in 2005 at all then he does like Firewall the Da Vinci Code oh fuck that is is that his big payday like one of his first big paydays is the Da Vinci Code then Iron Man Iron Man like 2008 and then everything kind of changes after that because he does some movies like he does Legion which he's the star of that he does Creation he does the Young Victoria he does Inkheart but once he's like in it, in it. Oh wait, Legion and Priest. What was up with him in these weird, like biblical things? And then the Da Vinci Code. Anyway, this is what I mean. Where I'm just like, why? See, is he to here? me, that makes sense because he becomes part of the Marvel universe. And honestly, I think super religious movies, um, like super religious adventure type movies and Marvel movies, make sense to me. <laughs> like to be part of the same trajectory oh my god he played charles darwin this is so wild like so basically there are really only two movies that he has done that would like at around that time that would be considered to be a a romance and it's this and a knight's tale and that's really (laughs) i mean the young victoria too um I guess but yeah it, most of his stuff is like interesting genre stuff and it's so I don't know it's Paul Bettany I mean Paul Bettany he's a he's a big deal now because of WandaVision the Marvel show that they made for the two characters that they gave the the least screen time <laughs> right like, okay they get no screen time in the movies let's get them a tv show which I was actually really excited about because I was like I want to see this relationship 
and it's it's been a big boost for both his and Elizabeth Olsen's career. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because the discourse is very hot with that show, very hot. But I will say... Are you say, afraid we're going to get backlash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that romance podcast gets dragged for views on WandaVision. Oh, yeah. Opinions on WandaVision. My thoughts on WandaVision are, for the podcast, Paul Bettany... Great performance. Elizabeth Olsen, great performance. Catherine Hahn, great performance. That's it. I'm done. Um, oh, yeah. Love Tiana it. Paris, also great performance. I only have nice things to say. I've never had Look any. You. You're positive. You've never had a negative. You're, you're like, creating a sun over here. You're creating the sunshine. Um, uh, so I guess it's time to talk about the other big star in this movie, which is Kirsten Dunst. And... Kirsten Dunst is one of those actresses that's kind of been around forever, at least for as long as I've been living. Like she's been around for my entire lifespan. And oh yeah, like, I mean, she started as a child, so she literally has. Yeah, she yeah she started she started her like first film appearance is 1989. So yeah, she's been doing it. She she did Bonfire, The Vanities, something called High Strong, Greedy. Um, Interview with the Vampire, which was her big thing. Little Women, which was the other big thing. Jumanji, huge. Um, she was in Small Soldiers. She did um, All I Want to Do, which is one of actually my personal favorite movies. She's she's great in that. Uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, The Virgin Suicides, Dick, a a sequel to The Crow with Kirsten Dunst. I need to watch that. Wow, this is just a whole rabbit hole. I mean, her, yeah, her filmography is like, there's just so much. (laughs) It's so interesting. Uh, Bring It On in 2000, of course, Get Over in 2001, which is also one of my my favorite rom-coms ever. Um, Crazy Beautiful, which is a romantic drama that she did that I that I really like. It was I one really like that one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it came out around the same time as Save the Last Dance, and Crazy Beautiful is the one that I preferred. Um, and uh, she did the Cat's Meow, where she played Marion Davies, which is inter- so her and Amer- and Amanda Seyfried have played Marion Davies. Um, and then of course you know Spider Man. That was the big thing that like. Really, I mean, her career was already a big deal, but Spider Man was like big check thing. Like, yeah, she got a- yeah, that was like people who never go to the movies all know who she is, and you know, and I, I would assume people already did, but people who yeah. like go to one movie a year know who she is. Right, yeah, and then she did Mona Lisa Smile, and then 2004 she did three movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Spider-Man 2, and Wimbledon, (laughs) the one movie that she, I love that we're doing the movie in 2004 that people never talk about, like they talk about the other two all the time. This is our work, Jordan, this is what we're (laughs) here for, we're here to excavate the 2004 movie that Kirsten Dunst did that no one talks about, that is our calling. And she's actually done so many relevant movies that I feel like if we go any further, it'll be a Kirsten Dunst podcast. She'll be back. We'll be back with her because we have to do Elizabeth Elizabeth Town. So we're going to talk about her I walked out of the theater. I hate that movie. I hate Um, it. I still haven't seen the end of it because I hated it so much. I 
I'm going to need serious alcohol if we're going to do that one. <laughs> the ending, like, doesn't make it any better. Like, wow. I would like, take shots on the podcast, and normally I'm sober and <laughs> clear-headed. Yeah. But yeah, Kirsten yeah. Dunst will certainly be back on the pod, as she has a wealth of movies of all genre. Man, I, I wonder if Sam Neill will be back on the pod. We got Sam Neill, legendary actor Sam Neill. Not going to do his filmography because I'm not going to condescend to you. I assume that we all know several movies that he's in, especially the big one, you know, Jurassic Park. Oh, my God, he's in The Vow. So, yes, we will be talking about Sam Neill again because <laughs> he's in The Vow. This is what I mean. Hey, I, I watched not- The Vow and I do not remember him. I need to, like, that's so funny. <laughs> I did not. How did I not connect? Anyways, I'll unpack that on my own time. Every, but, um, like, every actor makes it to, and like John Favreau, like, that's a dude that's been in a bunch of rom coms. Anyway, let's move on to the plot of Wimbledon because what this cast is so stacked that, like, it's, it's, usually when we go through the cast we can go through it so quickly and it's like impossible to do that here and also james mcavoy yeah, james, the fact that james mcavoy is just casually here like he's just james mcavoy is playing a side character like he is just like a quirky side character which was fun in my opinion but it's so funny to see james mcavoy just kind of you know on screen for maybe 10 cumulative minutes it's, it's such a, it, I guess it's just like such a testament to how stacked the cast is for a movie with a plot that's like, well, well, yeah, let's get into the plot. So, okay. So the plot of Wimbledon is that Paul Bettany is a 31 year old tennis pro. And there is so much to do about him being 31 in this, because I guess 31 in like sports years is very old. And so he's been playing tennis for a very long time. He said there's at some point in this movie, he says that he'd been playing tennis for like 25 years, which basically means that he's been playing tennis since he was a kid. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so he basically started competing once he was old enough and like, fit whatever qualifications so as a teenager i think yeah and so he's 31 years old everybody's everybody's like you're washed up he's like i'm washed up there is this totally obnoxious um voiceover that comes and goes i love how it's in so much of the beginning of the movie and then for so much of the middle of the movie it's not there and then at the end of the movie it comes back i hate that either either there or it's not okay this movie has multiple uh editing choices that are not consistent (laughs) there's the voiceover there's also throughout the movie we get these zoom in shots that are in the style of like a nike or a gatorade ad which is very 2004 where it's like a really quick zoom in and like you see him sweating during a tennis match but you get that during this movie at very random points but it's not consistent and i feel like that and the voiceover were these editing choices that they're like we'll just like sprinkle it in (laughs) it's like no if you're gonna get away with something like that you have to commit the opening credits of this movie are so wild well it's not just the credits okay so like we have this like blue sky an interesting thing about Wimbledon is that though it's like a very intimate story once like the movie is constantly trying to put their story into a wider context 
Yes. And they mostly do that through like weird like editing choices. So like we're in the sky and the sky is like ugly blue, like this like fake kind of blue that I like I like hate being in it. Like it just it looks fake. Like I don't understand why we get a shot of a fake sky and we have to look at it for so long and I don't so there's there's the fake sky. There's the terrible font that looks like Windows Movie. Ma- this it look this movie. So many bits of this movie look like they were made in Windows Movie Maker. It's so insane when you have a cast like this and it looks like shit. Like I kept saying, I so I did make AJ watch this with me because I'm a horrible person to date, and I kept saying I was like, this is Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> like this is absolutely giving me college freshman student film vibes. Like this is reminding me of things I tried to make (laughs) and it has an incredible cast and it obviously has a budget, but for some reason, the editing choices are just so like you're high. It's the middle of the night and you're just trying a new tool and you don't really know how to make it look good. Like that is the feeling of the editing. Yeah, it's, oh my God. Yeah, the editing. Okay, so like, I love that the credits, I'm not entirely mad that the credits do that like weird thing where it's like one line here, one line here, and it's like a ball going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That would have been, you know what? That's like the only aesthetic thing that I like, but then because everything else looks like shit, it looks like shit. Like there are times when the credits, because they're the white, (laughs) the white font isn't aligned properly. The credits just completely disappear and you can't see what the word is. Yeah, it is. It is like a really, it's just like, it's not that they can't make that choice. It's that, again, they didn't execute it correctly with the credit. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like this, uh, and there's always like a giant like worldview. It's like, here's the world. And then here's like down to earth. And then here's Paul Bettany sucking at tennis because he's tired and he's, he is the most tired 31 year old i have ever seen in a movie i've never seen a 31 year old the level of tired that he honestly i did love that as a 30 year old i was like okay yeah (laughs) like i'm not a tennis player but i liked that he was just so exhausted that was very that was an entry point for me (laughs) was just how tired he was i was like yeah obviously he's not old like the the movie is only making him washed up in the context of tennis, which, yeah, sports, the sports career trajectory is very different than most careers. Um, so it makes it makes more sense in that context. But it is so funny that he's just like, oh, I'm just ready to die. <laughs> he's, like ready to, he's ready. So he, he's going to be in Wimbledon because even though he keeps losing, he keeps on he's, he keeps qualifying for Wimbledon. And he's just like thinking in his head, like, God. My life is complete shit. Like, actually, like, he's he's really relatable in that sense. That he's just like, my life is complete shit. Also, there's a scene, like, early on um, <laughs> where he's, like, talking about, like, tennis. And then it just does, like, a zoom into his eye. Yes, and we're- oh, my God. Oh, my God, Jordan. Oh, my God. I... I laughed for like 20 minutes. Like I I had to pause the movie. It zooms all the way into his eyeball. I was like, what? It's like, he's like, 
it, the voiceover is explaining that he has been 11th. He was like the 11th player in the country, but everyone, everyone just remembers him as 17th. And that's like this ongoing bit as people will be like, weren't you 17th ranked in the world? And he's like, actually it was 11th. And, and, you know, he never, he never made it quite as far as he wanted. He's, he's in that margin of like just professional enough to have a career, but never like succeeded in the way he wanted to. And now it's going to be his last Wimbledon and then he's going to announce his retirement so he can be the head tennis coach at this country club, which like, okay, that's not relatable, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I totally, I mean, that's usually, I think how you get those jobs, like you're good at it, but you're not good enough to be professional. So you just have to teach it somewhere. And it's, it's, Oh yeah. I mean that, that, um, that aspect is relatable. I think the country club set just being like uh I think the country club just looks so nice to me especially just being in my apartment that I was like I would love to teach at a country club are you kidding yeah, no, that looks fine. great <laughs> I'm on board <laughs> I think that his thing with the country club is that like being around old people well, old well not even old these are middle-aged women but I think being around middle-aged to senior women I think makes him reminds him that he feels old and it might make him feel worse about himself which is weird because around them he's the young one but yeah I, I, think, I think you're totally right though and also there's one woman who never becomes like a real character she's just on screen for like five seconds at a time who's always hitting on him and talking about sex and I love her <laughs> just wanted to say yeah. that well, yeah, because because I would say that like if we were watching, you know, like um, a rom com, like a Nancy Myers movie, it would be about those women, and one of them would be fucking Paul Bettany, and they would be talking about like, oh, I got this young man that I'm like, and, like I he sees that, he knows that, and he does not want that for himself. <laughs> Yeah, which is completely, you know, that's valid. That's his choice. But honestly, I would love to watch that movie. <laughs> Personally. That movie would be very... He, okay, so he drives, like, this little, like, Bond car. Like, this little... It's so, like, shiny. And I was just like, James Bond drove this in the 60s. Like, it had to. It's so cute. It is. Love- it is, like, a little Bond car. And it does feel like he... He has this energy of... I, he didn't get to be the international gentleman that he wants to be. So it's fitting that he likes that car. You know, it's like he wanted to be a hot shot enough tennis player to ride in that car and like get the cocktails. And it's kind of, it's kind of that thing where he's, he's just good enough at what he does to be invited, but he's not well, he's not as well respected within the professional elite top class of tennis players. Right. So when he goes, when he's at Wimbledon, it's pretty apparent that he feels kind of awkward. Like he has one really good friend, but he's just kind of like, I don't know how to navigate this, which I also think that is a relatable kind of dynamic that you don't see a lot in, in movies is somebody who's in a professional setting and they're not like the outcast, but they're not like the CEO. They're like the person who's barely on the team. <laughs> like well, yeah, the specific so dynamic of this is really, I think that is well done. His whole thing is that he's awkward and not like in the movie sense where it's like, oh, I'm awkward. Like he's just genuinely awkward, which I appreciate. The thing, I mean, 
There, there are like issues with this movie, but I would say the number one thing that really works about this movie is Paul Bettany. Like he's he's great in this. Like I think that he's very attractive in it, which is interesting. I'm not usually into skinny men, and I'm not usually into blonde men, but for some reason, Paul Bettany manages to be both of those things, and I'm still into him. I think it's just because like his him being his him being tired and also like not overconfident just makes him seem like an approachable regular guy you know what i mean yeah i do like i'm not attracted to him in this but i definitely would want to hang out with him like i i want to hear him tell me stories and talk shit and just like he he feels very down to earth in an actual yeah. way and not just in this put upon movie way yeah and his family is like genuinely i love them like this whole like he goes to this house i love he's like it's interesting that he's like rich but not like rich like not rich enough to where they act like they're just like we have a big house whatever we're still going to act like regular people and so the mom is just like pissed the entire time and the dad is also pissed but they're pissed for different reasons and i do love that we're introduced to the parents because the dad is upset that the mom kissed another guy and she's just like yeah i wanted him to see it (laughs) yeah and the dad the dad is like fixing up the treehouse that i assume was paul bettany's when he was a kid and he's like i always knew i'd live in the treehouse and and that got me going down this mental rabbit hole of just thinking about how I was always jealous of tree houses and how living in a tree yeah. house does them. I always wanted like the idea of having a tree house is still something that I would love as an adult. I like, would know. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we I need want a tree house, Jordane. Can we get we a tree house we can record in? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that would be so great. Like, oh my uh, gosh, that's the dream. We need like a tree house company to sponsor us or something. Like a no boys allowed sign on yes. it. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's like beanbag chairs. I love yes. it. <laughs> oh my god, I would absolutely love that. So yeah, he's got a very cute family. James McAvoy is introduced in full bike gear on a stationary bike riding watching deep throat on his television (laughs) yeah that's just his truth that he happens to be living and that is how we meet him and and that is really like all we need to know about his character yeah he's just like horny and like around he's just horny and around and that's his whole thing also he bets like he bets on the games and he basically bets that his brother is going to lose. <laughs> yeah, like he's just kind of like that asshole brother, but is only in he's it's very brother because he's not enough of an asshole where him and Paul are like fighting and not friends, but he's enough of an asshole that it's not like Paul is going to confide in him vulnerably about his, you know, fear of failure or anything. <laughs> like he's just like the brother. And it, it does look like James McAvoy is just having fun. Like, he's like, this is a relaxing role for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, he's just like hanging out, which I, I really, I really appreciate that he's just hanging out. Like, there's not even a lot to say about him. He's just there. He's just nice. He's got like this like quality where like, if you look at him, it's just like, I'm going to be famous one day, but not right now. So I'm not going to take up a bunch of screen time, but you know, I'm going to be famous. Like he's got that whole thing going on. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like he's confident. Like he, he knows that he's got it. Yeah, exactly. Star power. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean the, yeah, it's like basically, so, okay, 
Okay, so the plot is, of course, Paul Bettany is about to announce his retirement at Wimbledon, you know, um, and he's kind of depressed. It doesn't even seem like he wants to go to Wimbledon that much because it just reminds him of what's going to end. Um, and he has a wild card. So that means he doesn't know who he's going to play against. He just gets different people. And then, you know, if he wins a match, he gets another wild card. Um, so he doesn't really get to mentally prepare for who he's going to play. But when he arrives uh, and he gets his hotel card, he's like, this seems like a nicer room than I thought I was going to have. But everything's busy. And this is when the, I guess you could call it a meet cute <laughs> happens. He ends up walking into Kirsten Dunst's room because somehow the hotel has just given out two of the same room card. Um, and she is in the shower. And this is truly a choice that the movie made. He walks in, she's in the shower. She doesn't scream. She's not like angry or scared that she's going to get attacked or anything she starts laughing flirtatiously like she's like um i think you're lost and i was like what is happening <laughs> okay so <laughs> Kristen dunst in this movie is really fascinating because so there's like there's like kind of like two modes to a well now there's three modes three modes to a kirsten dunst performance there's the very intense like melancholy performance there's the weird performance which is something that i didn't know that she could do until recently where she could like go a little loopy and strange which i love that for her um and then there's the one that she's most known for from this time, which is the, like, always kind of smiling, always kind of winking at you, like, girl who's just, like, really adventurous and kind of down for anything and, like, always seems, like, available to date and just kind of, she just, like, has this energy where it's, like, you can date me. Like, yeah. I don't care if you date me, but you can date me. Oh, you want to go? That's that's fine. I'm going to go date somebody it's else. It's like but just, flirtation. Like, it's yeah. really about that. Like, she's like, oh, I'm curious. This is fun. I'm not really, like, looking for a relationship. I'm not grossed out or annoyed. I'm just like, oh, this is fun. Let's play around. Like, it's a very, like, fuck around and find out kind of vibe that she has. Yeah, she's very, she's just very much like always, she's always up for it. She's always down and she sees him and she doesn't like see a threat or anything. She's just like, oh, it's just a guy and like, he's kind of cute. Like from the moment that she sees him, she's just like, he's cute. He could be fun. And it seems like from that exact like millisecond, she's like, okay, I could fuck him. This could, yeah. this, will, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they that's like their first meeting is in the room. And of course, it's quick because he's like, oh my gosh, I must have been in the wrong room. But the funniest part is that not only is she not freaking out, because anyone would freak out. Like, a strange man is there and you're in the shower? Like, come on. But she's like laughing and it almost seems like she doesn't want him to leave. The way that she acts it and, and the, her lines are written is she's very like, okay, I guess you got to go. Bye. I'll see you around. And then like, that's how they meet. And then... And then their second meeting, he's practicing and she just comes up to him and is like, hey, long time no see. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, even in the like flirtatious, like she's having fun messing with this guy or she thinks he's kind of cute. It's such a wild jump to have her character like 
randomly approached this man who walked in on her. Their connection in this movie, like the romance part of this movie definitely doesn't work in my opinion. Like it completely makes sense to me that these characters would hook up and that they would like have a fun kind of flirtation fling connection. Um, But it doesn't make sense that it would, that they would find it to be this deep thing. And the meet cute really frustrated me because like, I understand that it's very hard to find a new meet cute. I understand that like rom-coms have found so many creative ways for people to meet, but having a man walk in to the wrong hotel room while a woman's in the shower, she could have just been like watching TV. She could have been doing an exercise video, you know, like she could have not been naked and vulnerable in the shower and to have her be like laughing and just like, Oh, whatever. It's fine. I'm fine. Like that just felt so unrealistic. It took me out. And then to have her be the one who comes up to him instead of him being like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make a joke. She's coming up to him and basically trying to force him to hang out with her. And at the end of their second interaction, she makes a joke that's basically something about like, oh, if you would have said this, you could have slept with me. Um, and I get that it's supposed to establish her character as playful. And later in the movie, it's it's revealed that like she's known for like hooking up with people at competitions. So that makes it make a little more sense. But I think just like <laughs> the way that, that those two first interactions were written were so hard for me to get on board with. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the whole like... Um... <laughs> She said, like, hit this and I'll sleep with you. And then he doesn't like, I think, okay. So I think what's going on with uh, their connection, their whole thing is that he is the nervous British one and she is the adventurous American girl. And it's very like characterized in that way where like, this is how Americans act. Like, cause, and you can kind of see it with John Favreau too, where he's just like, this is what an American agent acts like. And then with the, um, the rival that he plays at the end, like this is what an, an American athlete is like, like the whole thing is just like this idea. I mean, it's all about white people, but this is like, what a white American this would be like. So I think it's like in terms of their archetypes that it's kind of working with. There's also the matter of the fact that like Paul Bettany, like in universe and in real life is a decade older than Kirsten Dunst. And so it's a situation where like he's 31, she's 21. And this movie's idea of a 21 year old is just she's just chill. She is somehow the chillest person, the chillest, not only the chillest person, but like the chillest athlete, really. Like it's only, she's like very into winning, but it doesn't really kick in until the end. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird that she's like supposed to be hyper competitive, but also chill at the same time. Cause those two aren't, super compatible (laughs) like usually hyper competitive people are very specific and that's how they you know like win (laughs) uh and so her kind of lackadaisical attitude I don't know it's it's I think I just had a hard time with her character in general um and it wasn't that I couldn't believe that her character would hook up with him or even that she would or even like that a 21 year old would um 
be that casual because like I remember being 21 and being casual and having fun flirting and you know uh it's it, it's just the way it lays out there's so many contradictions and it made it harder for me to get on board but I agree with you I do think it was playing on these archetypes of like this is the fun young American athlete and she's like hot on the scene and this is the depressed uh, older British athlete who is facing his retirement and they're connecting from opposite ends of this world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they end up like, basically like they end up like hooking up and, you know, they have this flirtation and Paul Bettany kind of expects that he's just going to like lose pretty quick and only play a few matches, but he ends up doing really well. Um, yeah. And he, Eventually, it's announced that they're going to have to play each other, which, of course, you know, adds this whole layer because um, he is viewing this as his last, you know, his last hurrah. And so he does want to win, but also, like, he's enjoying hanging out with her and they don't want to have this wedge. And she's also trying to pressure him to not retire. She's like, come on, just, like, keep doing well. She's basically like, keep winning. And then they're supposed to play against each other. Um and like that's a whole thing and it is very funny <laughs> for him to be like giving her these kind of lectures of like oh you don't get it and i do understand where his character is coming from it does make sense in this world but it it does make it feel like he's more of a few decades older than her than rather than just one decade the way that he talks to her is like you'll understand when you're as grizzled as i <laughs> that i feel like okay i I now understand that like the way that you feel about this movie is like (laughs) i think that you dislike this movie more than i do (laughs) i mean it's not it's not me being like i hate the movie i'm just saying the romance is bad i know i'm not like disagreeing with you but i i also just like find the romance to be very functional in a specific way that i buy i don't like it because I I don't like it because I don't think that it's actually sustainable. And like the the end of the movie suggests that it is. I mean, the whole dynamic of their relationship is that like she helps him get his groove back and uh, spoiler alert, he wins Wimbledon. Um and he fucks up her game because she's fallen in love for the first time. like my biggest issue is the fact that so much of this movie is like the struggle between Paul Bettany and Sam Neill when it should just be a struggle between Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. I mean, there's a very weird patriarchal thing because her dad is very possessive and he's created this arbitrary role that she can't date because she gets it. You know, if she gets attached, she'll be bad at it. And we do see early on in a movie, this clip of a television interview with her where she's also, she's saying, you know, for herself, she's saying, yeah, I just, I can't be in a relationship because tennis is my relationship you know, which is completely fine. But yeah, she does have this strong idea that if she's in a relationship or finds love, that's going to ruin her as an athlete and that it's not worth it. And she can't have both. And I agree with you. I think it is very much planted by her dad because her dad freaks out the minute that he realizes that she seems to have emotions for Paul Bettany and that it wasn't just like a one night fling. Um, and I, I, I totally think that Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst make sense to hook up. I just like at Wimbledon, especially that kind of camp experience that kind of like, oh, we're in this certain context and we're all like, you know, we're bonding over this very specific experience. Um, But I think it's like 
really the forcing them to stay together frustrated me. And then the dad dynamic frustrated me because it made it, the patriarchal aspect of her dad made Paul Bettany feel older, like older than he really is in the movie. Um, and it, it felt more like these two men fighting over her rather than like him connecting with like a younger woman and them having this connection where they like hook up and then realize they want to be together. I think the problem is, is that the movie has them having a lot of fun. Yeah. But there there isn't like, there's no real indication that there's anything beyond the fun happening. There's anything beyond the fun that could be going on. Yeah. Like there's, you know, oftentimes in these movies, there's a scene where there's a deep talk and the closest that we get to this is just about tennis. And that makes sense because they're tennis players, but it's really surface level stuff where Paul Bettany is saying what we already know, which is that he's planning to retire. And she's saying that she hasn't been in relationships, but we don't get anything more specific about that from either of the characters. So like you said, we see the fun, but we don't even see them connect on one kind of deep thing. So it's just like, well, what, what do you, I guess you're both tennis players. (laughs) They're both tennis players. They're both white. They're both blonde, which was weird for me in certain scenes. Like I became like obsessed with the fact that they were both blonde and how weird they looked together for that reason. Not saying the two blonde people can't be together, but they were like, they're both blonde. They were both tan and they just stood next to each other and just looked like they were related (laughs) sometimes. No, I get it. I mean, I've, like specifically nor usually I have not been attracted to blonde men because they look too much like they could be related to me. I mean, I don't have blonde hair anymore, but when I was like a kid and stuff, like it was a thing. So I know what you're talking about. And it, it is funny because they do have very similar coloring too. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They, I think they're just so charming that it doesn't even occur to me until we were talking about it. Like how, how weird they look together, how much they actually don't make sense because it's almost feels like the movie isn't really interested in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I also feel like the movie itself is trying to choose how much it wants to be romantic and how much it wants to be a movie about tennis. And it's, and it's not that it can't be both, but it feels like it didn't quite figure out how to do both of those. So it's it's more a tennis movie than a rom-com, in my opinion. It's more like kind of a comedy about tennis and Paul Bettany's career. But then Kirsten Dunst's character ends up being the reason that he gets the answers he's looking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the movie did actually make me interested in tennis. Although, like, like that final game, I was actually really invested in. But there is something about this movie that I feel like no one's really ever pointed out. And that there's this weird sense that, like, the whites need to win the tennis. Like, there's something very white about everything. And, like, they're the people who are considered to be the the biggest threats to them are like brown people and they're not like major characters but you like you see them you see that like whenever there are brown people around there's like all the cameras are on them and and there's this sense of like feeling uh like Paul Bettany feeling like 
thrown off by that. And like, he feels that way about Kirsten Dunst too. But then when Kirsten Dunst loses to that um, Indian woman, she, there's, there's, you see the whole dynamic again. And I don't, I mean, and they do play white people and there is like, there is like conflict with that, but there's something so, and then there's also the fact that like, he's supposed to be winning for Britain, like, we gotta win for the British white. Like, it's not a criticism. It's just there. And I had to say that Do it's you there. feel like there's like almost like a colonial entitlement like vibe? Yes. <laughs> like, it's like, this is what, this is my culture. This is white culture. <laughs> like, needing to center ourselves and, um, you know, claim things that aren't even ours necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely, that totally makes sense. I mean, I was laughing at how. How white everything about the movie was like you know the casting but also just like the ways the characters communicated with each other and the ways they expressed concern and like it was very that was very funny to me <laughs> and I think you brought up a great point um because I of course was I think I was like looking at Serena Williams like TikTok like four hours before the movie anyways. And then I realized I, I was like, oh, I think I'll just watch the tennis movie now. And so it was weird to watch this incredibly white tennis movie when like the actual tennis players I care about aren't white. <laughs> like the only tennis players I care about are black. Like so it's just very funny. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like they name drop um Serena Williams and um Andy Roddick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who is white, but he's like a tennis player that I actually when they said Andy Roddick, I was like, I know who that is for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't. Like I, I am very <laughs> ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so they uh yeah, it's it's such an interesting movie about tennis. I mean, it's like also just it just also for a little bit becomes a movie where he's just like fucking Kirsten Dunst and it's like his secret weapon. And she mentions it too. Like I was happy when she mentions it. She's just like, Oh, are you just like fucking me before the games? And I love this like weird juxtaposition where when they fuck, he gets better. And when they fuck, she gets worse. (laughs) It's just like, I know I was like, huh, there's a lot to dig into there. (laughs) Women can't, women can't fall in love and be good at sport at same time. It takes up all the little (laughs) bit of blood that we have in our tiny little brains. (laughs) It's focused on the love connection, you know, all the, well, we want to cuddle now. We don't have any energy to focus on sports. Yeah. (laughs) I, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this movie, like, I I had fun watching it because I really love the cast. And also, it's like, to me, it's it was so low stakes, you know? It didn't have some of the... Some of the movies we cover add really heavy elements that they don't know how to handle, and this doesn't. It's just very straightforward about this man and tennis, and then about this woman and tennis, and then both of them in tennis. And so in that sense, it was refreshing. Um I don't think the romance works. I think they should have let it just be a fling and not forced all these elements. Um, oh, yeah. A thing where it's like they they have a connection, they hook up, and, like, it changes their lives. And, like, it's a scene. And then the movie ends with, like, one of them winning and then one of them being in the audience being like, yeah, I fucked that person. And then, and then credits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I yeah, I can tell that that's the kind of movie that you wanted. Yeah, it, it's weird that it ends. I mean, I appreciate that even though they end up together, I do appreciate that he actually does retire from tennis and he does his like instead of working with older people, he works with kids, which is like a thing that they mention in the film where it's like this is where my dad taught me tennis and and there was just like this whole and that um the tennis court wasn't being used anymore and you know, he sets it up again and he helps with kids and you know, it, it's clear that like youth is what he needed like he didn't just need to have sex with a 21 year old woman he also needed to like work with kids instead of like old women but then like and that would have been fine he it could have ended with him working with the kids but i do like that he ends up working with the kids and she goes on to be a successful tennis player like to continue i'm glad that that didn't that oh, was yeah i'm very glad it didn't derail her career and do this thing where she realizes she needs love more than tennis which so many of these movies do with female characters with ambition yeah it was like oh my god at the little, i you know an interesting thing about this movie is that i would love to see like like down the road like when she's like 25 and she's just like with this 35 year old who is like or like when she's like 26 with this 36 year old who does not want to go out and does not want to party and wears reading glasses like i that's the movie that i want i want to see what the fuck happens there because like age gap discourse is something that i tend to stay away from but i do find age gaps to be interesting in terms of like how a relationship works and i just can't just this girl turning 25 years old or turning 26 years old and then realizing that like the point in her life where she is is very far from his even though the the age gap is not that big you know what I mean yeah totally yeah because all those kind of age transitions you're going through them at very different times and so you might be at a, a really high energy phase and you know your partner might be like low energy and this addition of you know 10 years difference adds to it He's just like he's the he's the husband that comes to the party and just reads a book and she comes over and she's just like why don't you talk to anyone and he's just like look I'm enjoying my book I have a nice drink here like that the fights <laughs> I mean like I feel thinking about that now I feel like they would either be a couple that would last a really long time because they're so different or it would completely explode and I don't see a middle ground it just depends yeah, on no, how it, her character his character feels pretty much like he is who he is He's probably going to get more crotchety, but she's still so young that you don't really know which way she's going to go. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess that's what I find this movie fascinating. Like, because at the end, you know, it's the whole, like, he's holding the baby and the thing, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, he definitely wants to be a dad. And I don't know if she wants to be a mom. Right, like, uh, see, see, we're already thinking more about this movie. Than Maybe you and I need need to write this tennis sequel movie. We, I'm sure we, Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst have a lot of time to be in our passion project. Uh, we Wimbledon too. <laughs> yes, Wimbledon the sequel. Wimbledon. <laughs> Love it. Everyone will be like, "What will happen?" We'll be like, "Let us show you." <laughs> it's yeah. three hours long. <laughs> So, like, I don't, I don't watch, like, a lot of, like, sports and love movies, but this, but this is super easy for me to do. This is super easy to make a suggestion, watch Bring It On. Uh, yeah. 
You got the love. You got the sport. You know, you could also watch Bend It Like Beckham. Once again, you've got the love, you got the sport, Bend It Like Beckham. Both Bend It Like Beckham and Bring It On have, like, very intense queer energy, too. So if you don't like the stuff with the boys, it's very easy to ignore I mean, them. there's multiple love stories going on. Just pick which one you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, just just watch, just watch something with gay undertones. This movie is very straight. This movie is very blonde. This movie is very white. Like, and I'm not usually a person where it's like a white movie. It's bad. It's like, it's not bad, but it's like so No, it's white. very white. <laughs> but where you're like... You're like constantly wondering what would happen if like one non-white person was around, not just because for representation purposes, but just to make the worldview of the story change a little. To like say literally anything. Right. Yeah. (laughs) To just like point something out or just share a thought. And it doesn't help that like the cinematography washes everything out. So it everyone looks so much whiter than they would look if the if the lighting was better. Oh yeah, no it's very much like make everyone look pasty lighting. I was like this is triggering. <laughs> As a pale person. Um yeah, yeah, bend it like Beckham or bring it on. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you got a good time. You got a good time anytime. Like, uh, sports movies in love, like, go hand in hand, man. Like, yeah, they know, do. They, have, they just, they're high energy, and sometimes you need that. Yeah, yeah. And oh. uh, if you're listening, you obviously found us on a place to listen. Um, but we always love reviews. If you feel like leaving one, that would be amazing. You don't have to write anything, you can leave stars. But also, if you don't, no pressure. I hope that you're drinking water and taking care of yourself. Our theme song is by Clutch Douglas, Seattle band. Uh, we have a Patreon where you can get extra episodes. You can get our In the Smut erotic side podcast. Um, you can get our OC podcast. You can get Young Adult Swim, which is young adult movies. And um, just lots of fun goodies. So if you feel like signing up... Um, you know, you can find us on our all of our places. Uh, Bad Romance Patreon. I'm Bronwyn Isaac. I'm Jordan Searles. Bye. Bye. Bye.